Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, Buckeye fans, and welcome to another episode of the Buck Nuts Happy Hour. This is the uh, off weekend, the open weekend, the bye weekend, whatever you want to call it for Ohio State. So we're going to do things a little different today. I'm Patrick Murphy here with Buck Nuts 247 Sports, as I said. Taking it a little easy today for the happy hour. Got a Labatt Blue that I found in my fridge. We'll sip on that slowly as we roll through here. We're going to... Um, discuss the Buckeyes and Notre Dame and kind of project forward and where Ohio State needs to improve. But first, I want to bring in Blake Brockermeyer, our 247 Sports National College football analyst. Blake's been on the show before. We're going to talk a little national college football landscape and kind of where things sit throughout the first four weeks of the season or after the first week of the season. Blake, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I am good. I am good. All right. We talked before the show. You were able to take in Ohio State's game against Notre Dame. I know you said that's the first time you've really been able to sit down and watch the Buckeyes. Just generally, from your kind of high perch, is not being dialed into it as much as we are here, what would you make of the Buckeyes in that game? And, and maybe what would you see from Notre Dame as well? Uh, it, was a, it was a great game, as everybody knows. Uh, I was real impressed with Ohio State's team defense. I thought – uh, you you hear a lot about individuals, uh, the, the the defensive ends for Ohio State get a lot of national pub, but uh, but really just their team defense and the scheme and, the, and just the way that they play and their physical uh, and just attacking uh, the ball, they kind of had a little bit of a, a a bend don't break effect. It seemed like most of the game to me, but. Uh, I was just impressed with just overall the, the talent on their defense and, and just how physical and how uh, and how well they attack the football when the ball's, uh, you know, you know wh- whether it's a run or a pass. It's interesting you say that, Ben, but don't break approach. That was how I saw it too. And then we talked to Jim Knowles after the game. 
he he was like, no, we still want to be aggressive. We you know we still want to be our defense. That's not what they showed, right? I mean, it was almost keep everything in front of you and rally to the football. Well, I mean, uh, Notre Dame's a good football team. I mean, they've got good players too. So uh, you're not going to be able to to do what Ohio State's done the first few weeks of the season uh, when you're playing against Penn State and Michigan. I mean, they've still got uh, two really tough games coming up down down the stretch that'll decide uh, kind of their fate for their season. But uh, but I, I was I was impressed with it. Uh, obviously, every defensive coordinator wants to to dominate and have a TFL and a sack on every play. But uh, but when you're playing against good teams, it's not going to happen. And Ohio State, to me, showed a lot of grit uh, being able to win. You always you know hear the, the don't panic. And uh, they definitely didn't panic and they kept their composure and uh, were able to win the game, which was, you know, was a, was a great game to watch just as, a, as a college football fan. You brought up those defensive ends as well. There's been some criticism locally because JT Tumalau, Jack Sawyer, two five-star guys, they don't have any sacks this year. From what you saw in terms of the way Ohio State used them, do you feel like they're being effective still, despite maybe not getting to the quarterback? Because that's what the coaches keep saying, but there keeps being a where are the sacks panic among Buckeye fans. Yeah, they're definitely not getting the the pressure on, you know, Notre Dame's got two of the best tackles in the country, so it's not going to be easy. They got rid of the ball quickly. Uh, you know, Sawyer's more of a physical, uh, you know, run stuffing uh, player from what I've seen. Uh, he can knock you back with some power and bull rush. JTT's got is a little more of a finesse player. Uh, he really does a great job of of kind of dissecting things when kind of there's you know like a screen or something where he's unblocked. He he seems to have a really good sense of uh, kind of spatial awareness. Like okay, that was way too easy. Something something's not right, and gets in, gets involved in the passing lanes. Uh, but as far as uh, it, you know, just being able to get get, get back and rush the passer. Uh, like the Boses or, or some of the great uh, Ohio State players, it's it, it's. I don't know if it's more of a scheme thing, but they definitely don't have that skill set. But they're both capable players and, and, and good players from what I've seen. What I did notice is where's the depth? I mean, I, did did they rotate anyone on, on defense the entire game? Uh, it seems like uh, the defensive line is taxed a lot. Uh, they, they get, you know, most teams are very uh, situational uh, uh, rotating uh, defenses. You look at a lot of the SEC teams like Georgia, but Ohio state didn't, I didn't notice and maybe I'm, maybe I missed it, but it seemed like the same guys were playing the entire game for them, which they played well, but it'd be nice to have a little bit of a rotation and keep those guys a little fresher. No, you are spot on. Jack Sawyer and JT Tumalau played all 65 defensive snaps. Tyleek Williams, defensive tackle, played 56 defensive snaps. Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton rotated 35 and 34 apiece. Uh, so you're, you're, you're exactly right. I, it's been surprising to me because we heard all offseason that there was going to be depth on this defensive line. Larry Johnson likes to rotate uh, normally. So maybe they're just not seeing what they needed, maybe scheme for this game. You, you just felt those guys were the best. I think that was something that stood out as well because 
once Notre Dame started to run the ball effectively, I mean, that changed things, right? Yeah. And the fatigue seemed to play a part. Um, let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball. I want to get your take on the offensive line, given that's where you made your money playing. Um, what did you think? I know pass protection has been pretty good for the Buckeyes. There weren't giant running holes, which you'd expect in a game like this. But what did you take away from this look at the, the Buckeyes offensive line in their first major test? I thought they looked pretty good. Honestly, you, you've read, you read a lot about how uh, their offensive line is going to be down this year. But from what I saw, uh, they were physical. I, I know the right tackle had a, just a ridiculous penalty called on him uh, for just finishing his block. But, uh, but you know, uh, I was impressed with them. I thought they were physical. I thought they uh, were, were capable in both run, uh, run blocking and pass protection. Uh, and, and it's a group that I think is just going to continue to get better and better the more they play together. And, uh, but I thought they did a great job, and, uh, and, and I didn't notice any kind of weakness with them. When you're an offensive lineman on the road in that type of environment, what's the biggest challenge in your experience? Really, it's just communication. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I obviously wasn't there, but when it's when it's really loud, being able to communicate and, and, and make sure you're all on the same page. Uh, a lot of times, you just have to trust the guy next to you, and, and you, you know, through all your practice reps, you kind of have this this kind of unspoken language where you just kind of like look at each other and you kind of kind of nod and, and kind of say what you're going to do, even if you can't really communicate very well. But if there's any kind of of, of audible or change or uh, you know, you, you switch your protection where you're sliding the opposite way. Uh, that's where problems can sometimes occur. Uh, some teams will go silent count. They'll go on the head nods with the centers. Uh, and so it's really just being able to communicate, trust the guy next to you, and then pass along the line if something were to change and, and get that in quickly. And so, uh, but I, I didn't really notice a, a ton of issues with them. I know they had a couple of uh, false starts, but uh, I thought they played pretty well as a group. Yeah, I agree. I think there were some communication early issues early in the season um, at Indiana and, and even at home in the, the first game of the year. But I think that, you know, that's just newness and, and getting used to each other. Um, Kyle McCord's been a hot topic in Columbus since the beginning of the year, the way that Ryan Day handled the quarterback situation and whatnot. Obviously, he has the drive at the end of the game that everyone's talked about. I think he's five of 14, five of 13 on that drive, uh, but gets them down there. What did you see from a, a, not a young quarterback, but an inexperienced quarterback in his first major moments, that drive, but but really the whole game and, and kind of how he managed a situation like that? You can just tell, I mean, Ryan Day is one of the better offensive play callers in the country, and it just looks different this year not having – C.J. Stroud and some of the, the great Ohio State quarterbacks they've had in the years past, just being able to throw the ball at will and be able to pick you apart. Uh, I mean, they have the players to do that, but I don't think they completely trust him to, to, to do a lot of the things that they did with C.J. Stroud, which is natural because he's only started a couple of games. So uh, I think he'll continue to get better. Uh, obviously, his confidence has got to be – uh, very high right now after being able to, to, to pull that one out in a pressure situation on the road, uh, being clutch when it counted. So 
Uh, you know, I think he's got a lot of talent. I think as he continues to earn trust of the coaching staff and the team, I think they'll maybe open up the offense a little bit as the year, you know, as the year evolves. They've, like I said, they've still got two really difficult games ahead of them. So uh, he'll have to be clutch the rest of the season, but especially in the Penn State and Michigan games, which are going to be tough games. Based on what you've seen, and I know it's only four weeks, like you said, a lot's going to change as, as teams get better, teams go through struggles, injuries, whatnot, but kind of where do you rank the Buckeyes if, if you're doing a top five, top ten, whatever? Um, where do you kind of rank them based on what you've seen from other teams around the country? Well, they're definitely a top ten team. I mean, obviously they're undefeated. and They, 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 they won on the road at, against a really good a better Notre Dame team than I think we've seen in a while just because they have a quarterback uh, that can deliver the football. Uh, but uh, I think it's a little early to tell exactly where they stand, but they're, they're going to be in the hunt and they've got to win the games that they should win. And then they obviously are going to have to beat uh, Michigan and Penn state. Uh, you know, that those games are going to be, obviously the, the the season for Ohio State. So uh, as long as they stay healthy and their defense can c- continue to play the way they are, uh, they're going to be in this thing until the, the end of the season because they've got talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, offensively, I love their, their tight end, Kate Stover. Uh, they've got two really obviously great receivers, uh, uh, that, that are doing a great job that, that, that can win against anybody. So, uh, and then, you know, Travion Henderson showed kind of some freshman flashbacks to me. I've kind of been waiting for him to kind of break back out again because his freshman year, he was one of the best running backs in the country. So they get all that going, uh, can get a little bit better pass rush. Uh, they've got obviously one of the best defensive line coaches in the country uh, so uh, they're going to be in it until the very end, and they're going to have to win uh, two two really tough games, and w- one of them's at home, which is great, uh, and, and they'll be favored in that game. So uh, it, it'll it's going to come down to the end of the season like it always does. There have been uh, a handful already of of these big, you know, ranked versus ranked, highly ranked teams playing, um, you know, LSU, Florida State early on this game. Um, one that I'm sure you were paying close attention to, given where you went to school in Texas and Alabama. What, what, where do you kind of rank those in terms of wins based on what you know Ohio State was able to do? Who has maybe the best win in the country right now in your mind? Um, that's a tough question. Uh, I would say, obviously, Texas beating Alabama uh, at night on the road uh, is a, was a big win for them. Uh, I've been real impressed with Florida State this year. Uh, they uh, really kind of schooled LSU the first week of the season. Uh, really outcoached, outcoached LSU, especially in the second half. And they've got a lot of talent as well. Uh, so I would say those, those two, those two uh, teams have looked good early. Uh, Texas hasn't been quite as consistent uh, week to week, which which makes me a, a little bit nervous for them down the road because they still have a few tough games, including, uh, surprisingly, Kansas this weekend. <laughs> who who would have thought you would say that in the same sentence? So, uh, but 
uh, it, there's a lot of football to be played. There's a lot of things that are going to happen. Uh, the West Coast has got some teams this year that uh, that look pretty good to me. Washington, I think, is going to be going to be in this thing until the end of the season. So uh, it, it's too early to tell, but there's there's probably ten teams right now that are capable, uh, including LSU, who has a loss uh, if they can win out because they've still got a lot of tough games to play. So uh, there's going to be, like every year, lots of surprises, lots of things happen, injuries. But I think Ohio State is going to be in this until the last week of the season. And uh, and obviously they've got to, 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 to beat Michigan. When you look at a team like Texas that obviously has the tradition, there's so much demand down there in Austin, but it hasn't happened in a while. Now you've got this win at Alabama. You mentioned it hasn't been as consistent. How do you build on something like that when it hasn't been a, a regular thing in Austin in recent years? Well, the, their their roster is a lot different than it's been the last, you know, I mean, they've been pretty bad for the last 15 years. But right. uh, through the transfer portal and through NIL, uh, they've really upgraded their, their, their roster. Uh, their offense has got probably four first-round picks on it. And uh, one that will be a high pick next year that's that's not eligible in Kelvin Banks. So and their defense is playing great right now. So uh, their two defensive tackles are, are are playing at a high level, and uh, and they've got good players on every you know on the, at their linebacker position and, and in the back end. So uh, talent wise, they should they shouldn't lose a game. So it, it's just a matter of you know. Every week is a different week, and it's a different challenge. And you just have to to keep your you know keep your blinders on and, and, and be ready to play every week because you know the 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 big schools with the big logos like Ohio State and Texas and Alabama, you're everyone's Super Bowl every week, and everyone's going to try to play their best game. You're going to get the best you know plays and coaches and trick plays and. You know, they're going to they're going to empty out the playbook on you because it's a big win for that school. You mentioned the West Coast teams. Um, you know, I don't know how many people who wa- are watching or, or will listen to this stay up to watch some of those games. Uh, obviously, Colorado has been a story because of Dion and how they started. You mentioned Washington, who I agree with you. I think it's looked really good with Michael Penix, USC, obviously in the mix. It's kind of unfortunate that this is the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it, and they finally have teams contending out there. But what do you what do you make of that group? And and you know, is Washington that team you could see coming out of it, or, or can USC get in that mix? What's kind of your read of the West Coast teams? I like Washington right now. I think they're they're the most complete team I've seen. They've got three really good receivers. Uh, you know, Michael Penix. It could could easily be the leading contender for the Heisman right now. He's been on fire the last two seasons, and uh, and just you know they they seem really unstoppable offensively currently. And their defense has got some good players on it as well. They've got an edge rusher and Braylon Trice who who hasn't been super productive as of yet, but watching his film from last year, he's one of the best natural twitchy edge guys in the country in my opinion uh usc is and you i i don't trust usc i don't know what it is about him caleb williams is a complete difference maker obviously and just a 
uh, a phenom when it, when it comes to being a quarterback. Uh, and they've got some really explosive wide receivers that can uh, score at a moment's notice. Uh, defensively, I still have a lot of questions with, with their defense. Their special teams last week uh, looked a little suspect against uh, a, a not very good Arizona State team. So, uh, you know, we're not going to find out much about them against Colorado this weekend. But, uh, but, but I like uh, Washington. Utah continues to, to win, you know, every week, it seems like. It seems like they, they're everyone's thorn in the side in, in the Pac-12. Uh, and uh, Washington State looks good this year as well. So uh, there, there's, there's some good teams out west. Uh, do they stack up against the top teams in the, in the country, you know, besides the West Coast teams? I think Washington does, and with Caleb Williams, I think you're you're never out of it because he's just such a difference maker. Let's go down to the SEC. I think Georgia's had a you know obviously number one in the rankings, but kind of a quiet start to the season. Like Ohio State breaking in some new pieces and quarterback being one of them. Alabama, the loss to Texas, things haven't looked as good as they've been under Saban traditionally. How do you see kind of the SEC shaking out? Is is Georgia that same team they've been the past two years? Can Bama get things back on the road? What's your view of, of down south? Well, SEC is, is tough to, to figure out. Uh, I, I still think LSU is the most talented team in the SEC. I think Jaden Daniels playing at a high level right now. Uh, they have to go to Tuscaloosa uh, to play them, which I'm assuming will probably be a, a night game. Uh, that will be a difficult game, uh, obviously. But uh, Georgia doesn't seem quite the same team that they've they've been. Obviously, uh, I think uh, Carson uh, Beck has played well at quarterback for them. They've had a lot of injuries, uh, and this, their schedule. I mean, it's a it's a joke who the SEC East teams play. So you're not going to really know until the SEC championship game. And so it'll be either Alabama or LSU, and and that will that will be a really good game. I mean, it, whoever comes out of that, Alabama looked way better last week defensively, especially uh, defense looked uh, really good last week. And so I would imagine they'll have no problem with Mississippi State this week, uh, and they play A and M the next you know the next week in College Station, which is been a really tough game for them the last few times they've gone down there so uh the, the sec west to me is 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 going to be a interesting a weekly tough games for a, a lot of teams just because they've been so up and down but I, I do like lsu and i think that they'll come out of the west we saw last week in the acc florida state go to clemson get a win um I don't know if it was as convincing as some people thought it might be, but you go to you go to Death Valley, you come out with a win. I think you feel okay about that. Duke obviously had the big win to start the season. They play Notre Dame this week. What's your read on the ACC and then how this may play out? And and what what do you think has happened with Clemson? Why has it fallen off as quickly as it has under under Dabo? Well, I think uh, I mean everybody wanted to blame, including probably a little bit myself of DJU, but. Uh, turns out that I think Cade Klubnick's uh, a, a much better quarterback, uh, but they're still getting the same results. I think just the 
the not using the transfer portal uh, to get kids that they could easily get. Right. Uh, Dabo keeps saying that he doesn't think that they upgrade his roster, but uh, they, there's a lot of talented kids that would love to play at Clemson. And just for some reason, they haven't used that to, to you know, like a lot of the top schools have, to just cherry pick certain guys to come in and help. It, I mean, at the very least with depth. Uh, their wide receiver uh, group has taken a dramatic drop off over the years from what they've been, uh, but they're still a good team uh, defensively. Uh, it's it's like they played good enough to win last week, and and then just you know the turnover that they had, where they had the uh, the uh, the fumble for the touchdown, that was just a killer. Uh, but Kalen Deloach is a guy that I've written about before. That guy is an incredible athlete that can run with uh, any athlete in the country. So uh, Florida State's got some good good players. Uh, Duke, I, does, does anybody really trust Duke to come out of the ACC? I don't know. I, I don't know if I do. I don't know if I do or not. But uh, that was an impressive first game that they had against Clemson. Uh, where they really kind of took it to them. And they've got good players. Their left tackle's a good player. Uh, they've got a couple of defensive linemen that are, that are going to play in the league. Uh, so they've upgraded the talent on their team. I like their quarterback as well. Uh, he, he didn't. He hasn't thrown the ball as well as I was uh, expecting, but he's ran the, ran the ball, made plays with his feet, just a, just kind of a, a winner, an overall kind of a winner-type quarterback that gets things done. And uh, that'll be an interesting game with uh, College Game Day going to, to to Duke, of all places, this weekend, and Notre Dame coming off a, a tough loss. It'll be uh, – that, that, that'll be a game that I'll have my eyes on for sure. Yeah, I think you know, Duke for so long has, has just been this, you know, purely basketball school, right? And then – you finally get a good coach in there that knows what he's doing. You get a couple of these wins. They had a good season last year, given kind of where they were. I yeah, that's you're certainly right. I'll be very tuned into that and, one. And North North Carolina's been yeah, surprisingly yeah. well. Like they they've kind of surprised me on how well they played this year. I haven't uh, I wasn't sure going into the season uh, how good their defense was going to be. I knew they had a couple of. Uh, a good players, but they've, they've been impressive early on uh, to, to, you know, so far this season uh, have, have looked well. Uh, they've obviously got an incredible quarterback and in Drake may. So uh, that's a team to keep an eye on. I would imagine uh, that they will be playing Florida state at the end of the, at the end of the season, but, uh, but we'll see. Let's bring it back to the big 10 to get you out of here. Uh, you've, you've already mentioned, Ohio State has Penn State and Michigan. In your mind, are those the three real contenders? Is there anyone from the West that you could see doing anything? Nope, that's it. Yeah. You got three teams, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. It's going to come down to to, uh, to those three teams. Uh, if they uh, – and I think – I believe Michigan goes to Penn State. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, – yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if everyone kind of knocks everybody off what happens then. But uh, it's a shame that they can't just let the two best teams in the Big Ten play each other at the end of the season because 
uh, playing the teams in the West is going to be a complete joke as it always is. But, uh, but those are the three teams that, that uh, I expected going into the season that were going to be uh, good. And, uh, and so far they've, they've delivered Michigan hadn't played anybody. So it's hard to, to really get a great feel for them so far. Uh, and uh, Penn State's looked pretty good so far, uh, especially their defense, which I knew was going to be uh, pretty, pretty nasty. So it'll be the Ohio State Penn State game is going to be a, a, a must see TV. And real quick on Penn State, I think fans, you know, obviously knew Ohio State fans know what Michigan has. Penn State gave the Buckeyes a, a hell of a game last year in state college. Uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about them, but Drew Aller at quarterback, those running backs that they've got, what's really stood out the most about what they've done so far? Well, Nick Singleton hadn't done a whole lot, which has been surprising. I kind of went into the season uh, thinking he was going to be one of the top backs in the country, and, and he's actually has a teammate that's the leading rusher on the team right now. Uh, I've been impressed with their defense. Uh, Chop Robinson uh, is one of the best, if not – the best pass rusher in the country right now. Uh, really twitchy plays on the edge most of the time. Will line up sometimes uh, inside on obvious passing situations. But uh, they, they, they've got a lot of good players on their defense. Uh, they bring a lot of havoc, uh, create a lot of chaos. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, last year's Ohio State-Penn State game, uh, JTT's coming out party. What an incredible game he had uh, and really just almost won the game by himself. So uh, hopefully he'll get going again for Ohio State and and uh, the sacks will hopefully start to pile up for him. All right, Blake, thank you very much. I know uh, it's a busy time of year, so I appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and give some perspective on kind of where things stand in your mind on the national landscape. We've got no game this weekend to talk about, so we need to fill the time somehow. You you did great. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks again to Blake. Um, we have a number of guys who do great work on the national scene at 24-7 Sports. Blake, uh, Brad Crawford, who's been on the show, Chris Hummer as well, all those guys. So if you're looking for more big-picture stuff from uh, the college football landscape, we do it on the college basketball side too, but we're not there. Make sure you're tuned in to 24-7 Sports. Uh, I've got a message from our friends at, uh, at Jonathan Green. Hey there, Bucknuts listeners. It's fall, which means two things. It's football season and it's lawn care season. Fall is the best time to oversee your lawn, so if you haven't already, now is the perfect time. We recommend Jonathan Green Black Beauty Grass Seed because it's naturally dark green in color, has has roots that can grow up to four feet deep, and it's super drought tolerant. With over 130 years of experience, Jonathan Green is a name you can trust for superior lawn care products. They only sell the highest quality grass seed on the market. And here's the best part. Buckeye fans, they're offering you 10% off your order on jonathangreen.com. So head over there now and use the code BUCKNUTS10. That's BUCKNUTS, one word, the numbers, 
one zero for 10 at checkout. Plus Jonathan green doesn't only sell grass seed. They carry everything you need to create the perfect outdoor oasis from lawn fertilizers and weed controls to soil amendments and spreaders. They've got you covered. So don't wait any longer, make your neighbors green with envy and turn your lawn into a showstopper with Jonathan green lawn care products. Visit jonathangreen.com and use coupon code BUCKNUTS to get 10% off your order of grass seed, lawn fertilizer, weed controls, and more. Jonathan Green, quality lawn service since 1881. Good stuff, guys. Uh, recommend them. They're a, they're a good partner to the show. So if you're looking for that, I, I highly recommend joining up with the Jonathan Green people. All right. Let's dive in to the Buckeyes. And if you have, I saw some questions were being thrown in the chat there. We had a couple. If you have more about the Notre Dame game, about things going forward, um, what you saw, what you think I saw, all that, feel free if you're watching this live to throw those in the chat. We'll try and answer some questions here at the end. But I want to dive into a few different topics um, kind of coming out of the first four weeks, uh, the Notre Dame game in particular, but really what we've seen from the Buckeyes here throughout um, this, this opening third of the season. It's crazy to think we're that far in already. Um, if you look offensively, the, the numbers are not what they've been. And I think people have questioned why that is, right? And the, and the most obvious reason is, okay, new offensive line, new quarterback. And I think there's very much something to that. Ryan Day hasn't put full trust um, and maybe not full trust, but he hasn't let Kyle McCord kind of take over the offense the way that a CJ Stroud was doing, you know, in his second season, or even as his first season went along. Um, you know, I think if you, you do think back with CJ Stroud, he did throw for 400 yards in his second game as a starter. So I think people feel like his progression happened quicker than maybe it did just because of the situation. Ryan Dates talked about how he didn't want to, to put, as much on a guy like Kyle McCord's plate as he did CJ Stroud so quickly. And you saw kind of that result in the Oregon game. Uh, but I think there's more to it with this offense. I think the, the, the quarterback and the offensive line certainly play a part. I've been very, I don't want to say disappointed because that's not the right word, but I thought we'd see more from this run game early in the season, especially as Kyle McCord got settled. I figured, okay, you've got two interior offensive linemen that are returning starters, both talented, and Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones. Um, why not load up on the run a bit more and make that, you know, play good defense, which I'll get to, um, but load up on the run and, you know, have, uh, have that kind of be the staple of your offense. And, and obviously in a Ryan Day offense, you're never going to go completely away from – the passing attack. He's a quarterback, a quarterback's coach. That's what he does. Um, but I think that the fact that they haven't used the run game more with the talented and, and number of running backs is interesting. And also how they've used the run game. Look, I, I've been a big, big proponent of Travion Henderson. Um, you know, going to last year, I said easily the most talented running back on the team. You know, why would you not give him the ball as much as possible? Obviously he gets injured, but we even saw before then he was splitting reps with Mayan Williams, who, who proved to be pretty talented as well. Um, this year, kind of the same thought going into the season, 
though I did expect them to split up the reps a bit more. Um, but the way that they've used these running backs through these first four weeks has sort of changed my tune on how I feel like Ohio State could best use these backs and and use them more. You know, Ryan Day talks, he mentioned it. We're recording this on Thursday. He mentioned it again on the radio show that he does. Uh, just about, you know, we, we need to get Travion Henderson some more touches. He said it about Chip Trainum too. Well, you call more run plays, you get more touches for the running backs, right? And um, if you look at Kyle McCord's stats through the first first few games, um, first four games here, he has thrown the ball. Let's see what it is. The fewest he's thrown it was against Youngstown State, where he threw it 20 times, but he's thrown for 33 against 33 attempts against Indiana and then 37 against Notre Dame. Now, a good chunk of those 37 came on that, that final drive and obviously had to throw the ball. So that number looks a little bit different if that game doesn't play out. But for me, I there's some really great things that, that Travion Henderson does. And you can't completely – you're not going to take him off the field completely because he is as talented, and you saw that on the 61-yard run. At any point, as Ryan Day puts it, he can be a home run hitter. But Ryan Day's also said he wants – to average four yards per carry. Anytime the running back touches the ball, that should be the goal is to get four yards per carry. Well, that's not what Travion Henderson is. He's a guy who wants to be in space and wants to make the big play. And he can do that, but he's not going to do it every play. And right now, Ohio State is treating him as this do everything running back that he just isn't. You know, you're, you're three years in to Travion Henderson's career at Ohio State. And I know last year was was disappointing because of the injuries, but we've not seen him be a guy that runs between the tackles and picks up two, three, four yards um, regularly. Uh, often he gets stopped at the line. Maybe it's, you know, the, it's not, if it's not blocked perfectly, he doesn't seem to have it. Now he can bounce it outside. And we saw that, you know, that wasn't necessarily what the play was designed to do on Saturday against Notre Dame. Um, to me, you found the perfect guy to do that dirty work stuff and chip train him. And you've obviously seen him do some of that this season. Uh, you've seen him go in and play fullback. You've seen him be in, in some short yardage situations. Obviously he came in for that last play um, against Notre Dame and got the game winning touchdown. He came in earlier on that drive when uh, I believe I'd have to go back and look. I remember watching from this, from the end zone. Cause that's where we were at the game. They pulled Trayvon Henderson out and he was not thrilled about it. Uh, you know, he, he, Spoke with Tony Alford quickly on the sideline. Obviously, he wants to be in the game on that drive, right? They tried to get him the ball in space on the first two plays. He and Kyle McCord could not connect. But to me, it seems like you you trust Chip Tranum a little bit more as a pass blocker um, when, when you need a throw. You trust him a little bit more to, to do kind of the, the tough. You know, Ryan Day talks tough, right? Um, you trust him there. I feel like... It should the, the the reps should be split for them between you know more evenly. I feel like, and you know, obviously they they have this they they have this connection with Travion Henderson. He was the number one running back in the country. He was a huge get for Ohio State at the time, and I do think he needs to be involved and be able to make some of these huge plays because it is a difference maker. You saw it against Notre Dame, but I also think your offense can 
can run more efficiently. You stay ahead of the sticks a bit more if Chip Tranum is in there. Um, and what's happened with Mayan Williams, I think, is, is quite the mystery. I mean, obviously, Chip has surpassed him. He did it before the season even began. But it looked like earlier you were going to have this three-headed monster. And I know it's, you know, you, you would say it's hard to get all these guys uh, the, the snaps. Notre Dame gave five running backs carries on Saturday. Um, and they did it quickly. I mean, by the end of the game, Estime had 14, Love had eight, Price had three, Payne had six, Ford had two. That, you know, that's a nice way to split it up. You know, the top three, 14, eight, and three. I think if you're Mayan Williams, you know, Payne had six. I think if you're Mayan Williams, you'd like to be a bit more involved than you, you certainly would like to be more involved than you are now. You definitely like to, to be closer to some of those some of those, um, you know, closer to what you were last year. And I, I see a couple comments about, you know, here from Brass Tax. Tax, uh, Chip is quicker than Mayan. Certainly agree. Uh, I think that there's certainly a reason he's kind of taken that. But, you know, you're still using Mayan down by the end zone, right? In these short yarded situations, they've worked a couple times. I just think there's better ways to, to divide this up. And, you know, Travion Henderson, is, as much as kind of has gone into developing him and, and making him the running back that he is, you just have to kind of accept that he's going to be this guy who hits on some big plays, but running him up the middle multiple times is part of the reason. Now, it's not all of it. The blocking can be better. I think the play calling can certainly be better on some of these uh, calls. You know, the boundary runs have not worked as well as they hope, but they just, you know, you need to get your guys out there for the right situations. That's what Notre Dame was doing. You saw it wear down Ohio State's defense, and they had success. I think that, for me, all of a sudden, you go from, you know, an offense that's still trying to throw the ball a good amount to a more balanced offense. You know, Ohio State right now is 75th in the country with 149 rushing yards per game. Um, they've attempted – 118 rushes, which is 116th in the country. I honestly thought it would just be a more balanced attack this year. It just, it hasn't been. Um, and, and I think that's, that's disappointing. I do think the offensive line is getting better, but I still think it's a struggle to run block, which is confusing to me, given what you have on the interior. I like some of the pulling that they did. There was some success there. There's not just in the Notre Dame game, but in some other, other plays they've run throughout the season. Um, but this is something I think has to be a focus this week as you, you, you know, you, you don't have a game on Saturday is how you get this running game going. And, and for me, you know, make it more even between Travion Henderson and Chip Tranum. Um, I just think it's, it's clear that these guys have certain skills that can, you can enhance your entire offense by using them. And, you, uh, they're just not doing it, at least in my eyes. Um, I know that, that there was a lot of talk about Marvin Harrison after the game, so I wanted to give an update about that while we were on the offense. Um, in case you missed it, Ryan, they said after the game, sprained ankle. I was on the Bucknuts Morning 5 on Wednesday, and people were asking, it was a high ankle sprain, low ankle sprain. I don't know if that's the correct terminology, but uh, high ankle sprains tend to tend to be worse. We were at interviews Wednesday afternoon, and while we did not talk to Marvin Harrison, he, he along with, um, I believe it was Xavier Johnson and 
the uh, and Reese Stockdale were on the Monarch machine catching passes. Now they weren't doing routes. It was a lot of stationary stuff, but Marvin's right ankle was taped. Didn't look to be seriously taped. Just had some tape on it underneath his sock and shoe. Um, seemed to be walking, you know, without a noticeable limp. So that was certainly positive to see him out there doing that stuff. The guy just doesn't take a break and you know, credit to him seriously for, for going back out there and playing, um, you know, who knows what kind of pain he was in for that game. I do think it, the ankle affected him a little bit. I think that deep shot that uh, Kyle McCord took to him in the third quarter probably gets more separation and probably hauls that in for a touchdown if he's playing on a, a healthy ankle, but Played on an injured ankle last year, as he revealed to us a week or so ago. So he's dealt with this before. Obviously, he'd want him to be as healthy as possible. But good time for the off week, for sure, for, for him to get healthy. And obviously, he's not the only one dealing with bruises and, and whatnot. Um, you know, but the most noticeable and, and probably the biggest name so far. So I think that's a positive update on Marvin. Um, flipping over the defensive side of the ball, I have been so impressed with what this defense has been able to do as a whole this year. Uh, now there's still some questions, still some areas where you need to improve, but I really liked, and I, I wrote about this and I talked about it a lot throughout the offseason. So I like that this kind of came through in this Notre Dame game is Jim Knowles being willing to adjust to what he has at Ohio state instead of being the defensive coordinator. He's been in the past. Um, they, you know, he came here with a lot of success in the, you know, with, with Oklahoma state and with Duke prior to that and what he'd done. And, and um, you know, he tried to make a lot of that work throughout the first season and it certainly improved Ohio state, but he talked all off season about, you know, adjusting and, and um, you know, learning from that first year. This was the first real time to show that. And I think you saw it with what he did. This was not, the defense you saw against Michigan. It was not the defense you saw against uh, Georgia in the college football playoff. It was a, you know, I, I, when I wrote about this, I used the examples of teams in the NFL have done this now these last few years against high powered offenses. Uh, the, the probably the best example is, you know, against the Kansas city chiefs back when they still had Tyree kill, you know, it was a lot of big plays and taking shots to him. Well, defense is just, played deeper, you know, put a kind of a, a cap on the defense, so to speak, a ceiling on the defense. So guys weren't be able to get by them and took away those big plays. And it, you know, if you remember a couple of years ago, uh, the Kansas city chiefs, you're an NFL team got kind of frustrated. And I think there were some turnovers trying to take shots that weren't there, things like that. Um, now Ohio state's doing it a different way that you know, Notre Dame wasn't necessarily a, a big play offense, but they had the potential to hit big plays. We talked a lot going into the game about the play action pass, if they could get the run game going and, and whatnot. Um, what they're forcing them to do, what they forced Notre Dame to do was take these long drawn out drives. You know, you're going to, if you want to score on us, if you want to get down to the red zone, it's not going to be three, two, three, four plays. You're going to have to earn it. And Notre Dame had the first drive of the game, the first offensive drive of the game, 14 plays went 71 yards, 8-12 off the clock, turned the ball over on downs. Cody Simon makes makes the play. Um, the two touchdown drives that Notre Dame did score, 13 and 11 plays each, went 75 and 96 yards, six and a half minutes, seven and a half minutes each time. 
you know, that's what Ohio State in these games, I think, want, is going to want them to want the opponent to do is you're going to have to earn it all the way down the field. And if you want to take a shot, fine, we're going to cap it. If you want to, if, if you're not patient, you know, you, you may turn the ball over. You may, um, you know, you, you may do something stupid that, that, you know, sets you even further behind the sticks. This is an interesting change by Jim Knowles, who has been aggressive throughout his career because he's been playing from a talent deficit at almost every place he's been. And he's had to take risks. And, you know, when you take risks, either they pay off or they don't. And you've seen at Ohio state when they don't, it's a significantly bigger mistake than it ever is at Oklahoma state, just because of what, what level you're playing on, right? You're, you're playing against Michigan with the chance to go to the big 10 championship game. You're playing against Georgia with the chance to go to the national championship game. Um, if you use that defense in either of those games, I don't know if, if you win the game, um, you probably win the Georgia game given how close it was. And, and you probably don't allow some of those big plays though. There are still execution things in there. Uh, I think this is an interesting change by Jim Knowles. I'm going to want, I want to see how he continues to use this defense as the year moves along. I believe that you will see him be more aggressive in games, you know, Purdue, for example, or, or things like that, you know, you, you'll still see some of those blitzes. We've seen it already some this year, um, and, but they they've done some different things, even on the blitzing side of things. Uh, the, the biggest example against Notre Dame was they brought Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers on a blitz. I think it was in the second quarter and uh, uh, Tyleek Williams and I think Mike Hall dropped to where the linebackers normally are. So you, you aren't necessarily bringing more numbers, but you're, you're simulating that pressure, as they call it, by, you know, okay, the offensive line thinks they're blocking a tackle. Okay, now the linebacker's coming. So it's, it's a different way to try and get pressure. Um, you know, obviously the, the pressure that in terms of sacks and tackles for loss hasn't been there. I wrote about this the other day, though. If, if you look at kind of the underlying numbers for Ohio State, um, there have been some actually good statistical some good statistical data um, in terms of what they are able to do pressure wise. Um, and, and I think that's why the staff doesn't seem to care that much that there aren't a ton of sacks. They have five sacks this season, which is number 114th in the country. Um, according to pro football focus, which I know not everyone buys into, but take it for what it is. Ohio state's getting, pressure at the eighth highest rate among all FBS teams. Now, you know, obviously that hasn't led to sacks, but they, they are getting there. They are getting pressure on the quarterback. PFF also has JT Tuomalau and Jack Sawyer as two of the top 25 players in the country when it comes to pass rushing on plays um, or, you know, winning against their blockers 18% of the time, which is in the top 25 for all players who have rushed the passer 80 times or more. So, like looking at those numbers, things don't look as bad. I certainly think if you're going to do play a defense that wants to keep things in front of you in the big games, um, you would you have to get the pressure with the front four. You don't want to bring extra pressure because that leaves holes in the defense. Now, any defense is not going to be perfect, right? There's going to be spaces to get passes, to hit on runs. Um, Sam Hartman, I thought in the first half, did a really good job of finding those 
kind of creases, especially in zone defense, uh, which is what Ohio State played a lot because they wanted to keep their eye on the football and kind of rally to the ball. Sam Hartman did a great job of picking those out. Not every quarterback is going to be able to do that, but the good ones are. I think you know Ohio State will be able to play more man defense as they go along when they're not playing a quarterback like Sam Hartman. I think there is a concern with the way Notre Dame was able to run the ball in the second half, and, and I even talked about this going in to this game because Western Kentucky was able to get some push, and not that they were able to do much with it, but they were able to, to move that line of scrimmage a little bit. And Ohio State definitely, as Blake Brockermeyer joined us earlier, was talking about, you know, those defensive linemen started to wear down and you, you could see that as Notre Dame really started to hit on uh, some of those run plays in the second half. You know, you had guys going for, you know, guys that maybe were going for three, four yards in the first half, you know, Jeremiah Love on the uh, second possession of the second half. Yeah. Uh, 16 yards. Um, you know, Jaden Price rushed for 18 yards you're moving the ball there. Sam Hartman's pass for six, uh, gain of six on the run. So, you know, you just, those, those numbers do add up and, you know, that's fine if you're Ohio state and you are willing to let them, you know, slowly move down the field. Now you got to get stops. And that's been their biggest thing. They were able to force two turnovers on downs. Um, you know, you look at the third and short plays for Ohio state. It was pulling up the numbers here. Notre Dame was three for five on third and short. You don't love that, do you? Um, overall on third down, I think they were five of 10. Yeah, so, but, you know, when they were able to get third and fourth or shorter, they were generally able to get it. Ohio State's defense still needs to be able to get off the field. And you know, that's going to give the offense more plays, which is something Ryan Day continues to talk about. Um, the last thing from the game that, that I wanted to bring up is this, uh, and I know people are starting to get sick of it, so I won't, I won't, harp on it too long. Uh, but I wrote about this yesterday, this, this Lou Holtz, Ryan Day feud, which I think is, is, I think it's hysterical. Uh, but I do think it, it, we're pushing on the edge of using this as content here. I think that it's possible that both guys are correct. I think what Lou Holtz is saying is what a lot of Buckeye fans have said for the last two seasons that, you know, Ohio state, isn't this rugged, giant offensive line team that's just going to run the ball at you and three yards in a cloud of dust and all that. I mean, they haven't been that under Ryan day. It just is what it is. They, they have talented quarterbacks, talented receivers. They want to throw the ball around. I wouldn't say they're a complete finesse team, but they're certainly more of a finesse team than they've been in the past. And I think that's what Lou Holtz is saying was saying uh, what I think Ryan day is saying is that he believes this team, this year's team is mentally tough and you know they can they can fight through a game like that have to go 65 yards in a minute 26 they don't blink they get down to the one yard line there's three seconds left they can get that tough yard there but it's it's more about the approach that they can go on the road and win a top 10 game like that at a tough place to play like Notre Dame Stadium you know you don't have to be physically tough to necessarily do that you have to be able to handle the pressure. And when things go bad, you have to be able to manage those situations. And I think that's what Ohio State did. If you go back and look at the fourth down or the uh, the touchdown from Chip Tranum, obviously Notre Dame didn't have 10 players on the field. Let's not, let's not talk about that. But the reason that play works, even if Notre Dame does have the right amount of players on the field, is you have 
two of the best wide receivers in the country lined up to the right of the formation. And Notre Dame has to be aware of that fact. You, you, everyone knows you're going to run there, but on the off chance that you do something, you can't just not pay attention to those guys. So that takes guys out of the box earlier. They tried to run um, up the middle on fourth down or third down. Maybe it was Um, uh, there was a play on the goal line when they brought in Caden Curry and they brought in, I think three tight ends and Luke Montgomery was in the game. And, you know, they tried to line up like Wisconsin. That's not Ohio state football these days. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great if you could do that. And they did that some last year with Mitch Rossi playing fullback and it, it looks different. And so it's exciting. The best thing that Ohio state has going for it is the talented weapons that you have to cover for Marvin Harrison, Jr. And Emeka Buka. The fact that you have a quarterback that you have to respect, even if he's not CJ Stroud right now, that he could throw it out there to Marvin Harrison Jr. And he could make that play that wins the game. Um, yeah. You still want to be able to run and get the tough yards and, and I get all that and they need to be better on short yardage, but you don't have to line up in these heavy sets and try and prove to Lou Holtz or anyone else that has, has said you guys aren't, uh, you are a finesse team or you're not tough enough that you, uh, you know, that you are that just be who you are. Use the, you know, spread. You don't have to go full spread on a play like that, but I liked that play call at the end because you can still be tough that way. Uh, use what you have at your disposal and don't try and be something you're not is, is my thought. Um, and I think that the, the fact that, you know, Ohio state is tried to load up up front and, you know, do these play action passes off that, you bet if you're trying to throw the ball to Cade Stover or Chip Trainum or Joe Royer, you have three guys on the bench now that are better pass catchers. You know, if you're going to throw the ball on third and short or fourth and short, get the best pass catchers on the field. You can still line those guys up tight if you want. A lot of teams do it. Anyway, I said I wasn't going to talk about that that much, but I did. A um, couple quick things before we get out of here. I know we had a couple questions here. Uh, Mike Schaefer, Patrick, what impact has Joe Philbin had on the OSU offense? That's a good question. Uh, I think in talking to some of the guys, I think he certainly helped with kind of big picture offensive line stuff. Um, you know, some of the offensive linemen have talked about what, um, he's kind of talked to them about and in terms of different techniques and things like that. I think he's definitely like all of the analysts, I think he's definitely a good eye to have on, uh, on this because he has been there, done that not only at the college level, but at a high level. So I think that he has certainly made an impact. Now, you know, we'd have to be at practice every day, wish we were to kind of see directly what impact he's made. But I think we'll know more as we go through the season. Um, and you see how this offensive line specifically, because that's really his focus, his offensive line specifically evolves. Um, I think he will certainly, along with Justin Fry, uh, Mike Scalini, ha have an impact on that. Uh, Mello number seven said earlier, James Laurinaitis has to get CJ Hicks prepared to get playing time. I agree with you. Uh, I would ask how you get him playing time. I, you know, are you taking Kate Stover and, or excuse me, uh, Tommy Eichenberg and steel chambers off the field. Jim Knowles said he wanted to rotate those guys more. That hasn't really been the case. I think Cody Simons right now, your third linebacker, as we saw against Notre Dame, remember CJ Hicks didn't play linebacker in high school he wasn't doing what he was being asked to do at Ohio State so even though he's a five-star prospect not entirely surprised that it's taken him a couple years to uh you know kind of get things figured out uh, 
he was excited. He was right in front of me after Ohio State won, as excited as anybody. You can see this video I posted on Twitter uh, about that win. So I'm not worried about C.J. Hicks. I think they will get him in. Um, and Kerry Brooks asks, how do you think we match up against Oregon? I have only seen a little bit of Oregon play, so tough to at answer that question. Um, you know, a lot of their – a lot of the games – I've still been working um, or have been working all day and didn't stay up to watch Oregon play. So I need to watch some more. We were talking earlier about the PAC 12. I saw you, I've seen USC a couple times um, just because I've had them on when I've gotten home. Uh, I need to see more of the, the West coast teams. Blake was talking about Washington who certainly on paper looked really good. I just haven't seen the, them play other than highlights, but um, look, as I said before the season, Ohio state has as much talent as anyone in the country. And, you know, they have a now of a top 10 win to kind of back that up. You build on this the right way. I said this after the game on, on the What We Learned live podcast. You build on this the right way. This could be a jumping off point for the team, for a lot of players, uh, for the coaches. I think there's there's a lot that you can take from here. Now, if you if you don't handle this the right way, if you people start to think that they've made it, um, you know, you could you could have some trouble down the road. Uh, you know, I think it's good that Ohio State faces a team like Maryland coming out of this by open off weekend, whatever you want to call it, because that's not a team that you can just take lightly. And, you know, you just need to look back as far as last year when Maryland had them a little bit on the ropes. Now, obviously, that was on the road, not at home, but you've got a talented offensive team, a team that I believe is still undefeated. So certainly, uh, certainly can't take them lightly coming out of the bye, which I think is important. Uh, good question here. JVM 1341 uh, asking what I'm drinking today. Today's just a Miller light or sorry, a Labatt blue Miller light was the other option. And I picked Labatt blue from the fridge. Uh, my plan is to go on a jog later. It looks uh, while it's raining outside, the temperature's great. So not trying to get too crazy. Um, all right. Final thing. We started this, this year, the, um, what you'll be reading, obviously no Ohio state game this weekend. So the headline I think is pretty simple. Buckeyes enjoy off weekend, prepare for Maryland test, big 10 play, something along those lines. Look, the Buckeyes continue to put work in this weekend. They were practicing, or this week, excuse me, they were practicing this week. The, uh, Weekend is a time for these players to go home, see their families, you know, whatever you want to do with your off weekend. You know, Cody Simon was talking about getting back home, watching his brother uh, who plays for, I don't remember off the top of my head, did play at um, Notre Dame, uh, but he wants to watch his brother play. I assume a lot of guys are going to be doing that. It will be uh, good for them to just relax, get players healthy, and then get back to work on Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, whenever they have their next practice. Um, so that's what I think would be the headline if you're going to do a headline coming out of this off week. Thanks again, Buckeye fans. I appreciate you all tuning in for this, whether you watch live. Thanks again, to, or, or listen after the fact. Thanks again to Block, Blake Brockermeyer, 24-7 Sports' national football analyst. I thought he gave us some good stuff, not only about the Buckeyes, but about what's going on around college football. We'll do that every so often when we get the chance to bring in one of the national guys to just give that big picture view on everything. Once again, I'm Patrick Murphy. 
from Bucknuts and 24-7 Sports. This has been the Bucknuts Happy Hour. Cheers, everybody. Enjoy your boff weekend. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.